Hey, Cracked fans. If you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and Canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So, how can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, luckyracket.com, that's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com, and use our promo code CRACK15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts, 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's luckyracket.com. The promo code is CRACK15. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, January 7th. Busy times for us here at Crack Racket. So many things happening across the tennis world. Of course, if you follow our other podcasts, you know we are gearing up for the 2022 college tennis season. We have interviewed over 50 Power 5 men's and women's head coaches. You can find all of those conversations over on our Cracked Interviews podcast feed. Of course, we are also counting down our top 10 men's and women's D1 teams heading into the 2022 season. We've counted all the way starting at number 10 to number 4 on our list. If you missed our recent episodes breaking down the number 4 Texas men, the number 4 UCLA women, you can find them over on the Great Shot podcast feed. You can also read more about these teams on our website, CrackRackets.com. Hear from their coaches again on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. Of course, there's so much always happening at the ITF level, the Challenger level, rocking and rolling once more. I believe we've got four Challenger events happening this week. I'm not going to lie. I apologize to all of you listeners for not having covered them on this show thus far this week. Don't think I'm going to be able to do so until at least Saturday, maybe Sunday, as there's just too much other stuff happening across the tennis world. Of course, you can hear about the Challenger Tour every Monday on the Great Shot podcast feed. Crack Rackets contributors Damian Kust and Yaka Bobro killing it. They never miss a week. Their episode's always so informative. Again, you can follow that podcast every Monday on the Great Shot podcast feed. But of course, here on the Mini Break feed, it's been an ATP WTA-centric week. The biggest story right now, not only across the tennis world, but transcending international news corners as well, the status of Novak Djokovic. Whether or not he'll even be admitted into Australia, of course, if he's not admitted, we won't see him at the 2022 Australia. 
Australian Open. That's a topic we dove all the way into headfirst on Wednesday. Tennis Channel, Tennis.com editorial producer David Kane joining me to do just that. If you missed that episode, don't worry. Just scroll down in your mini break podcast feed. You can hear our long-form breakdown of the story. You can hear our breaking news when it was turned out that Novak Djokovic would not be granted entry. Now, of course, he's appealed that decision. We won't know the outcome of that appeal until Monday. Doesn't make much sense. Well, I suppose that's where I want to start today's podcast. We'll get into that momentarily, of course. Before I do that, that's all of the plugging out of the way. I also have to thank all of you listeners, our Crack Rackets Patreon family. Sincerely mean it when I say it. Record numbers for us in the month of December. That's the tennis offseason. You're listening more than ever before. We're immensely grateful for that continued support. It allows us to provide the coverage we know all of you listeners deserve. Again, day in, day out, our goal to make you the most well-informed, best educated, most excited tennis fans in the business because so often it feels like we've been drowned out in some of the negative aspects of the sport of late, but we all know the product's better than it's ever been. The players better than ever, the game deeper than ever across levels as such. That's why we want to do this podcast every day for you. In 2022, we wouldn't be able to do that without your support, nor without the support of our friends at Tennis Point. And you all know the deal. Go to tennis-point.com right now. Use the promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Yes, I'm aware I didn't say what Tennis Point does exactly in that rant, but you already know because you listen every day. The latest and greatest equipment, all at the best prices, all in one location, tennis-point.com. You use that promo code CR15 to let them know we sent you there. With that said, as you listeners can probably tell, it's just going to be me, Han Solo, on today's show. That happens every so often throughout the course of the season. It's just hard. So many things going on. Sometimes difficult to track it down a guess. Sometimes I just have a lot I want to get off my chest, and this is the best platform to do that. Today's one of those episodes. I want to talk about who's looked good on the court. We'll get into momentarily to start who hasn't looked good off of it down in Australia. But, of course, that's where all, or the majority, I should say, of at least the tour-level action is centered right now. We've got three ATP events happening with the ATP Cup, Adelaide and Melbourne. You've got Melbourne 1 and 2 on the women's side, as Nate Walworth pointed out, so creatively named. We've also got Adelaide happening as well. There have been some developments. I have some observations, some things I would like to share with all of you listeners. Of course, I always love to hear back from you. Recently changed the Twitter handle to at A.L. Gruskin to any of you who do want to take the time to reach out to us here at Crack Rackets. But I want to play a game of who looks good in Australia. And we can start that game by talking about who hasn't looked good. And that's everyone now associated with this Novak Djokovic saga. Of course, we talked about it at the time. The simplest solution would be for Novak Djokovic to follow the overwhelming amounts of scientific evidence, overwhelming amounts of experts, and become vaccinated, like we ask so you know so many of the citizens of the globe right now to be. And of course, you know this is not the only country with a vaccine mandate. There will be plenty others throughout the course of the season with those same mandates. Will they make allowances for un? vaccinated players moving forward. It's a question that remains unanswered. 
Not a ton of clarity in that answer either. ATP Tour, WTA Tour, at least publicly, have not done much in terms of public announcements, their thoughts on this entire case. They have not, you know, I'm sure the ATP Tour is in conversations. They have not publicly intervened on behalf of Novak Djokovic yet. Uh, certainly, we got a statement from the PTPA supporting Novak Djokovic saying there needs to be allowances for unvaccinated players to play moving forward. Again, I want to discuss all of that on Monday when we have new developments, when I have someone to bounce thoughts and ideas off of. Simply put, who has not looked good? Again, everyone associated with this saga, whether it's Craig Tiley in Tennis Australia. Clearly, there was a miscommunication between them and the Australian government, between them and many of the players. We've learned of additional players now being withdrawn from events, being, you know, or being told to leave the country because they didn't follow those similar vaccination requirements, the entire thing is a mess. It's a PR disaster for each and every entity involved, and there's no excuses. There are no winners. Now, again, simplest solution, follow the science. Get vaccinated. If that is not going to be the case, this mess will remain persistent unless the tours enforce vaccine mandates. That is, again, to clear up the gray area, make clear we are making no exceptions. When there are no exceptions, there's no gray area. You either are vaccinated or you are not to play. That is the simplest solution. Should there be vaccination exemptions for medical reasoning? Of course there should be. And that is, again, you better have a damn strong burden of proof for the tour because they will then have to vouch for you in these international states. But again, why is that so difficult? Because medical exemptions require different burdens of proofs and, uh, proof in different countries. And so this is where gray area continues to emerge whenever there is any sort of you know exemption, uh, exceptions or exemptions made. We're not going to get into, again, that any further on this show. The point is this has been a disaster, and it's once again to not – know. I know I'm not trying to equate the two. It was to no fault of Naomi Osaka, but certainly her conversation on the press and the mental health of athletes and going through the media rigors throughout the course of the season, that was a storyline that Trent said in media didn't involve anything that was happening on the court. We had everything surrounding Peng Shui, and we still haven't had the chance as a media to you know, question her openly and allow her to speak freely. That opportunity has yet to happen. That's another storyline tangentially related to tennis that doesn't involve anything on the court. This for Novak Djokovic, we're not talking about his tw- him and how likely he is to win Grand Slam number 21. We're talking about if he's going to be allowed into the country and play it all, not only here, but moving forward throughout the season. It sucks. It's devastating. No one looks good coming out of this, and it has been an unmitigated disaster. It's something, again, we recapped at length on uh, Wednesday's podcast with David Kane. Two mini-break podcasts, one of them you can watch on YouTube. I'm telling you, it's a much better format when you can see our smiling faces and the work of super producer Daniel Westoff. But So again, you have to address that probably to start the show. Who has not looked good in Australia? Everyone surrounding this Novak Djokovic situation. With that said, you know, again, there's so much good happening on the court right now in Australia. That's what I want to focus on the rest of the way. And in particular, we're going to be talking about the standout performers thus far. Let's start with ATP Cup, an event that, yes, has some structural flaws, but as a product, I find fantastic. And again, it's not a binary choice. You don't, if you like ATP Cup, inherently hate Hopman Cup. I would like Hopman Cup back as much as anyone out there. I promise you that. I also think Anytime you can get tennis players playing in the team format, <clears throat> college tennis, 
it brings out the best in them. It brings out their competitive spirit in a, in a team dynamic, and it just you are no longer playing for yourself. You are playing for others out there. You have an inherent group of support behind you throughout the course of a match, and you know again, you can see that desire, that passion reflected in the product we've seen on court, and no player has thrived more in this format on court throughout this opening week of play than Roberto Bautista Gut, who has looked not just good, exceptional thus far in his play at the ATP Cup 4-0. Now, you know, has it been the most rigorous hardcourt stretch? No, he didn't play a Tsitsipas. He didn't play a Medvedev. He didn't even get a Cam Nori, guys who are top 12. But he did get Kasper Ruud, who he knocked out 4-6. and six. He did get Hubie Hercots. Both guys we saw compete at the ATP Tour Finals. He beats Hercots 7-6-2-6-7-6 last night. Straight set wins over Christian Guerin and Dusan Lajevic. Two guys he should be beating. Let's keep in mind, the average age of a player in their prime, A, it's been extended. B, what was once 24-30 to 30 can now be 24 to 32, 33 years old in professional tennis. And you watch Roberto Bautista Agut play. It's a man who still clearly has his first step, who prides himself and who has exceptional fitness, uh, exceptional, um, exceptional, yeah, longevity on the court. His fitness is outstanding. And, you know, I think he baits you into challenging his on-the-run forehand. Certainly there are times you'd think to attack the Roberto Bautista Agut forehand, uh, backhand because that forehand is a bit more dynamic, but he thinks you have him lulled in a backhand cross-court rally, might leave a backhand a little bit short on the court. Hercots, of course, last night would take that backhand up the line and attack, and he had plenty of success doing that. You look at the numbers for Hubi Hercots last night, you know, he has, I believe, four breakpoint chances. He converts on three of them. Certainly, Hubi was more successful as a returner, you know, fights off six of the seven break points he faced. He had plenty of success playing front foot tennis, and that's a testament to Hubi's level. He's looked excellent as well. But man, that Bautista Agut on the run forehand, his ability to place that ball with depth, with power cross court, and it falls in every time. It's one of the best combinations, uh, defensive combinations you see in, I think, any arsenal out there. Just his ability, again, to go behind you down the line when you're sneaking into the net or, again, to hit to the open court, cross court if you stay back on the baseline. It's an exceptional shot. And I do think his backhand depth this week has been it has been as good as it needs to be. And it's a slower hard court, gives him that much more time to track the ball down. I do think he's finding good depth with his ground strokes because he has a little bit more time to get into those ground strokes on this surface. Bautista Gut is dangerous, playing as well as anyone I've seen from the eye test perspective. Now, again, he doesn't have the biggest weapons, and I would have loved to seen that Hubie uh, match go a th- you know, a fourth, a fifth set, because certainly Hubie had the easier plus one talent. When Hubie connected with the first serve, he won 76% of his first serve points, you know, made 70% of his first serves, hit 24 aces. Hubie was lights out on serve last night. There's no denying that. And, you know, again, I think his plan A was better than Bautista Agut's plan A, which is the big serve, hit the serve and volley, you know, move in behind the plus one ball. When Horkatz is on his front foot, he dictated. But Bautista Gut, Bautista Gut is such an exceptional defender, and he's moving so exceptionally well right now. He's dangerous at this Australian Open, and that's not a hot take. But I do think you get into that quarterfinal round, and if you're matching up with a Bautista Gut, and you're a Medvedev, or you're a Zverev, or you're a Tsitsipas, 
that's a really tough matchup because if you play one of your next-gen compatriots, that match is what it is, right? It's a next-gen or you're going to have to get to that eventually. But if you're trying to avoid some of the dangerous veterans, the dangerous lingerers, you know, for Bautista Good, I believe he's 19 in the world coming into this ATP Cup. You know, he's not going to be a top 10 seed at the Australian Open. That's a tricky fourth round, tricky third round, wherever he ends up from a seeding perspective. It was a fine 2022, I thought, for uh, 2021, excuse me, for Roberto Bautista Agut. You look at the numbers overall, 30 wins for him, you know, 30 and 25, which actually was his lowest win percentage since 2013. But, you know, break percentage below his career average, hold percentage last year below his career average. It looked like there was some, you know, regression starting to emerge. He has taken advantage of the offseason. He is fresh once again. He has played some outstanding tennis at this ATP Cup. So he's been my most notable performer. Of course, we've talked about some of these other guys throughout the course of the week. I haven't had the chance to really do a deep dive like I did on Bautista Agut there. I mentioned Hubie Hercats, whose only loss comes to Bautista Agut in three sets. Now, Hubie did not have the toughest draw, and you look for him uh, in terms of the matches he played. He beats, you know, uh, Mert, uh, Mertravelli. He beats Thanos in his first two matches. Actually drops that set to Mertravelli in the Georgia match. But then he beats Schwartzman 1-4. and four. And Schwartzman just didn't have the weapons to hurt him. And with the length of Hubie Hercats, his ability to move as a guy who's six foot six, and then his ability to rip the first serve, play plus one tennis, incorporate the serve and volley. What has been such a struggle for Hubie is sticking to plan A because he is a guy with his athleticism, his feel around the court. He can mess around. He can have some fun, do you know B, C, and D as plans and find success while entertaining himself more on the court. But to beat the guys you're supposed to beat, you have to be able to turn to plan A with consistency. And he did that against Thanos, and he did that against Metrovelli. Plan A was rocking against Diego Schwartzman. Then again, 24 aces against Bautista Gut. He played well enough to win the match, just wasn't able to come through in the two tiebreakers. Hubie's ready, and he does not, you know, first-round loss for him last year at the Australian Open. Now those Miami title points are sitting right there for him early in the season, but this is a nice opportunity for him to cash some more points on the resume here in Australia. Fourth round is not the goal. Fourth round is the expectation for Hubie Hurricots. He's playing well enough to get there. He'll have the draw to do it as well by holding seed. Hubie Hurricots, super impressive here. In the ATP Cup, of course, in the end, Spain knocks off Poland to get to the final. They await now the winner of France versus Canada, which will be played tonight here, Friday night on the East Coast. Quick two seconds on Felix Ogier Aliassime because I know, you know, first of all, Medvedev's looked better and better. Good win for him over Berrettini. He still doesn't look as fit as he'll need to be week two of Australia, but he's earned the benefit of the doubt. But I do want to talk about Felix because what a win for Felix, you know, especially for Felix, who did not start out, you know, this tournament with the best result. If you watched his first match uh, that he played at this ATP Cup, I believe it was the first match that he lost uh, was against Taylor Fritz. You know, three-set loss, won the first set 7-6, ends up dropping the next two 6-4-6-4. Lights out since then. He beats uh, Cam Norrie, 6-3. Comes, you know, well, not comes from behind, but drops the second set, then plays a decisive third, 6-3, against Virev. And now he's got the shot against Medvedev as well. I mean, if he beats Medvedev, it will not be a, a sleeper pick. He will be everyone's watch out for Felix. You know who's the dark horse somehow in the Australian Open, even though he's a top, you know, 15 player in the world and a former world junior number one and anything but a dark horse? 
will be Felix Ogier Eliassime come the Australian Open. Plan A looks better and better. The serve, the forehand, which on his best day have always looked elite of the elite, they look even more so at the start of this season. Just use your ears. Use your eyes. Watch the way he gets his weight behind that first forehand, the heaviness of that shot, just how off rhythm it throws its opponents. Now, Zverev, and to an extent at times Fritz, have the backhands to absorb that inside-out forehand that Felix hits so decisively to open up the inside-in, which he then loves to sneak in behind. Those guys have the length and the backhands to deal with them in a way that 98% of the top 100 does not. And yes, I do mean 98% of the top 100. Medvedev, you want to say 97 as well. Throw that backhand in the mix. I probably should have, and that's what makes tonight's matchup so interesting. But not only does the serve plus one look better for Felix, the backhand looks improved as well. And the backhand has never been bad. It's just lacked the fluidity of the forehand. I think Felix hits the forehand on the run well. I think it's the backhand that gets rigid, but it looks a little bit more fluid. The slice, not only does it have better depth, it knifes a little bit more than it used to. Felix has looked really good. We keep waiting for that first title, of course, but, you know, again, he's starting the year, what, ranked, like, like top 20 in the world, ranked something around, what, 15 or 16 he will flirt with the top 10 this season. And, you know, he started off Australia strong last year, probably should have beaten Karatsev in the moment, given the context. Karatsev was playing so well. I could see him one-up in that this season. I, I think quarterfinals now should very much be in his cards at every surface that he plays. We need, Again, of course, we're still waiting for that first ATP title, but the talent has always been there. 2022 could very well be the year everything falls into place for Felix Ogier Aliasim. With that in mind, you know, again, shout out Karina Busta. He's looked great. Medvedev looks better and better. I thought he played well against Berrettini. Turned it on in that tiebreaker when he needed to. I mean, we talked about many of the other guys. Dan Evans competed extraordinarily well this week. Nori didn't have the best week, but I actually didn't think he played particularly poorly and he's still got some opportunity to pick up points here early in the season. Yeah, I mean, Zverev looked fine. Typical jitters on the serve. Up 5-3, gets broken by Felix in that second set. Now ends up breaking to take the second. But, you know, Zverev looked like Zverev. Um, I thought Shapo still looks like Shapo. The inconsistencies were plaguing him. The doubles was exciting. But ATP Cup's been a blast. And again, it's not a binary choice. You can like Hopman Cup, want it back, and still enjoy this ATP Cup format to begin. Still agree structurally. They could change some things as well. But the product itself at ATP Cup, it looked very good. Now, with that in mind, let's move on to our next tournament here. Let's talk about the WTA in Adelaide. And I'm going to try and file through these a little bit faster now as we go through. But let's start in Adelaide with top seed Ashley Barty. Has she looked good? At times, I thought she served pretty well thus far this week, and you look for Barty, who's earned wins in her first two matches. I believe first match was a victory, uh, three-set come-from-behind victory over Coco Goff. She trailed big there yesterday, straight-set win for her over Sonia Kennan. I mean, the big jump was her first serve, and she wins 97% of her first serve points against Sonia Kennan in that second-round match. Let me say that again. She won 97% of her first serve points. You look for Barty in that match. Obviously, if you're winning 97% of your serve points, you're hitting an ace or two. And for Ashley Barty yesterday against uh, Kennan, I believe she ends up hitting, yeah, 17 aces in that match. 
I mean, the biggest difference, I do think part of that was Kennan. Kennan's striking the ball extraordinarily well, and there's a little FU to her right now, and I say that in the best way. The shape of her ball just seems more aggressive, more drive, and she's swinging a little bit bigger when she's got that opportunity in the center of the court. She made Ashley Barty pay for a couple of back, I mean, multiple backhand slices throughout the course of that match, and she has such a beautiful shape on that ball, and she really is such a shot maker. I thought Kennan played well. I don't think she moved well. I don't think she served well. And obviously those two things are essential. And I do think, again, part of that aggression from Kennan was the fact that she knows she can't move right now in the outer thirds with the injury she's coming back from as well as she was 2019, you know, throughout the 2020 season. But when that fluidity comes back, again, the ground strokes look a little bit bigger and she can still fire the angles, fire the drop shots. Now, she's been a little bit hesitant to do so, just given, again, I don't think she feels confident in the movement that comes behind playing the angles and knowing how much court you're opening up for your opponent. But the driving looked good. That said, the improvement in Barty's movement from match number one against Goff to match number two against Kennan was measurably noticeable. And she did a good job tracking down all of the Kennan junk, the slices, the angles. I thought, again, she was punishing the first serve, the plus one ball. That looked a little bit more fluid than it did in her first match. Ashley Barty slowly rounding back into world number one form. Of course, she can win the Australian Open, and I promise you there's no tournament. She would like to win more, but she's going to take out an inform Iga Svantec who the ball is just exploding off of the racket from right now. And she did such a good job absorbing the first strike of Vika in her three-set quarterfinal win, dominated in her round of 16 match over Layla Fernandez. And just, again, the serve was on Fernandez's shoulder. The forehand was on Fernandez's shoulder. The backhand, the depth she was able to produce, how well she's moving on these slow, high-bouncing hard courts. I mean, Ika's a nightmare. She, she pencil her into round of 16s, right? That's what the lesson we learned last year at the Grand Slams. But with the weapon she's showing off on this surface, and again, just the renewed speed, she looks, I don't want to say she didn't look fit at the end of last season. She looked worn down at the end of last season. She doesn't anymore. Certainly helps still be 20, right, to bounce back the way that she did. Good week for Vika, who's striking the ball extraordinarily well. But again, Ega's ability to get Vika stretched in the outer third and the heaviness of her ball. It's going to be a really fun matchup against Ashley Barty, the slice of Barty versus the heavy topspin and drive of Sviantec. That's one, obviously, to keep an eye on. Elena Rabakina, I mean, again, her power tennis will disrupt anything anyone's trying to do. Great three-set win for her. A little Spider-Man Mimi against a very much informed Shelby Rogers who can all absolutely defend, you know, her result, what was it, fourth round quarterfinal in Australia last year? I think it was quarterfinal. She can absolutely get right back there. She's serving so well, moving so well, hitting the backhand freely, which in turn opens up the forehand for her, serving well again. I mean, again, it was a bit of a Spider-Man mean. Rabakana just a little bit more dynamic in the outer thirds. And, I mean, it's not a dark horse pick because we talk about her all the time here. But she why can't she win Australia? That's my question to you. Why can't she? She's made a Grand Slam quarterfinal before. She had success at the Slams last season. Why not? Just again, with people, as people work their way from a fitness perspective back into form, don't you trust the player with the weapons more? rubakana has got the weapons. She's firing on all cylinders. Now again, the floor is definitely still a little low on the day she's off. You notice that, but man, the ceiling continues to look better and better. And look, She's got a very winnable match in the semifinals against Misaki Doi Doi. Great 7-6 in the third win over Kaya Yuvan. But I'm telling you, 
Rabakina, Sviantek, Barty, they've all looked good. Now, of course, they're all winners this week, and so you're thinking, Alex, how biased are you just towards what you've seen? Well, I can only talk about what I've seen. And if I'm ranking them by level, Sviantek's level's been the highest. Azarenka's might have been second. Um, I would go Rabakina second, Barty third, in terms of closest to their ceiling right now, but... You know, again, we all know each of those players are capable of. Sviantek Barty having won Grand Slam titles. Rabakina is going to flirt with some quarterfinals, semifinals this year. If she sneaks into a Grand Slam final, she serves well. Top five amongst top 50 players last season. She's risen in the rankings at the end of every season of her career. Good start to the season for Elena Rabakina. That's what's looked good on the WTA side in Adelaide. On the men's side in Adelaide, again, a lot of men's action. Lot so much action happening across uh, Australia right now. I have adjusted the sleep schedule slowly. Certainly, what's looked good in Australia, you gotta say the cock Tanasi Kakanakis, uh, seven six four six six four win over Mikhail Emer, which follows a three set win for him in the round of sixteen over Francis Tiafo. No one's ever doubted Tanasi Kakanakis' talent dating back to his win. What was it over Federer in Miami and just you know former Australian Open junior finalist where he lost to fellow Australian Nick Kyrgios in that final. Kokonakis' forehand belongs on the ATP Tour. The heaviness of that shot, the weight he puts behind that shot. Now, the guy doesn't have an ounce of fat on his body, and that's a byproduct of all of the injuries he suffered over the years. Fitness is always going to be the key thing for Tenassi Kokonakis, how fluidly he's moving, how comfortably he's moving. Can he get through a tournament healthy in three sets? Did it a bunch on the challenger level last year. Gets a wild card into this Adelaide event. It just received a wild card, by the way, into the Australian Open as well. Deservedly so. Into the semifinals. Two physical matches. And I thought Tiafo should have beaten Kokonakis. Tiafo was up a set and a break. When he was playing front foot, ground stroke tennis, not getting into his slice patterns and playing entertainment tennis as opposed to the best form of Francis Tiafo tennis, who's always inherently entertaining, Kokonakis made him pay, and again, the weight of that forehand won out. Kokonakis, when he was able to drive through that backhand corner, it it holds up. Like, again, it, I think his problem on the backhand side is not the ground stroke. It's the lack of fluidity moving to that wing. Far more comfortable moving to the forehand side, but he's a good volleyer, knows when to move forward, has a flair for the big points, the big moments as well, isn't afraid to go down swinging back into an ATP semifinal where he belongs, and look— He's the only non-top four seed. Monfils, straight sets over Sarundolo, straight sets over Tommy Paul. You could put 2012 Gael Monfils in 2022 Gael Monfils' place, and they would look identical. And the fact that he's been able to sustain that level now for a decade plus speaks to the marvel that is Gael Monfils. He looks excellent. I'm sure. Second week of a Grand Slam, absolutely. I don't know how much further he goes past that, but he looks as good as Gael Monfils has looked in quite a bit of time. Good wins for Hatchinoff. Stevie Johnson was stroking the ball down in Adelaide. The slice biting. He just goes after the forehand now, and that's never been an issue for him, but the confidence with which he's playing and the fit, I think the fitness level is back as well. He's a lingering unseated player in my opinion. Yes, I'm American biased. Lingering unseated player on the men's side, but good win for Hatchinov over him, good win for Hatchinov over Jersimov. He just looks fit, he looks confident, he looks ready to start the new year fresh, which is the toughest thing in tennis, not letting the losses linger. He looks ready to not let the losses linger. Chilich has carried over his form from the end of last season. It's a hard court, it's a slow hard court. It's always going to help a 33-year-old or however old Chilich is now, and 
I mean, he's 6'6". Give him an extra half second. He's always struck the ball so well for his side. So that's the action in Adelaide. That's who's looked good there. Let's finish on the women's side, and then we'll get back to the men. WTA Melbourne 1 and 2. You know who my favorite to win the Australian Open is right now on the women's side? Naomi Osaka. Straight set wins in her subsequent two matches following her win in three over Alizé Cornet. The serve gets better and better. She looks fit as a fiddle. I mean, she is moving extraordinarily fluidly right now in the corners. And when Osaka moves well, how are you going to beat her? Because the serve is still the serve in the women's game right now. I apologize, Serena Williams. I just think Osaka's serve is better at this point. The plus one backhand, her ability to absorb and redirect pace on that wing. If you give her time on the forehand wing, she'll make you pay. Again, I think she's moving fluidly right now in and out of corners as well, returning the ball so well, and I love her backhand return. It's just so simple. It lo- That's how a backhand return. It just, you can see how natural she is on that side. Her best tennis on a hard court is still better than anyone else's that I've seen in the women's game, and she's inching closer and closer to that form. Again, she hasn't served particularly well, but when the first serve is landing, she's looked dominant, and to me, that is still the most essential features that she can hit that gear it's just hitting that gear more consistently i think she's gotten better and better as this tournament's progressed she's my favorite and my pick right now entering the 2022 australian open now she's got another tough test tonight kudamatova and then simona halep she is probably moving better than any other player i've seen right now on the women's tour and given the health issues i said this on the previous pod just to reiterate this point we're not that far removed from Simona Halep being unequivocally the best player in the world. And I do think that 2020 season, she wins a Grand Slam if it's not fueled with, you know, riddled by the COVID everything. Uh, you know, she loses seven semifinals of the French Open and then, you know, is undefeated other than that loss heading into the French Open, hasn't lost and is the definitive favorite before Sviantec blitzed her. And like, I think we let that loss cloud how good she was everywhere else throughout the course of that year. And we're not that far removed from that. And she's healthy once again. She's moving so well. The serve has always hung up on its not best days. And yesterday was a not best day for her in her three cent match, uh, a win for her in the end over Victoria Golubic, who continues to strike the ball extraordinarily well. But boy, would I like to see some Osaka Halep to start the year in the Melbourne finals. Wouldn't that be fun? Because both of them have looked good and are absolutely threats to win the Australian Open. I think Osaka's looked better, and I think her best has been the best on the women's side I've seen thus far. Again, Barty, I would put her above Rabakina in terms of the best I've seen from both of them, but Rabakina would be two on that list. Um, Sorry, I got distracted there thinking about my list and who else would belong on it right now. All of that said, Halep would be on the short list too. I would put Halep, I think she's looked better than Barty, She's looked better than Kennan, clearly. Probably a little lower than Sviantek. I would go Osaka 1, Sviantek 2, Halep 3, Halep 3, Rabakina 4, just because Halep's been a little bit more consistent even when she didn't play her best yesterday. But that would be my takeaway from Melbourne 1. In terms of Melbourne 2, a little disappointed. We're not getting Clara Tossin and Ann Lee more than anything. Clara Tossin, after retiring in yesterday's match, just hope she's healthy come the start of the Australian Open. But again, glass half full. Four American tennis fans here to start the year. Amanda Nisimova, her first semifinal since Adelaide in January of 2020. She's looked great. The big hitting young American, former 
French Open semifinalist. Three-set win over Arena Camilla Begu in the quarterfinals. Now it's going to match up with Daria Kasatkina, who's brought her exceptional 2021 form into this season. And then Anne Lee, who's maybe the most informed player to end last season, her first WTA title and making a couple, you know, final quarterfinal runs as well. She's earned straight set victories the entire way through this draw, and now she's going to match up with Alexandra Sasnovich, who again, 6-3-2-0 up when Clara Tossin's forced to retire yesterday. Considering that's Melbourne 2, it's a pretty loaded draw, and again, Anissa Mova's looked great, and I talked about it. Would you rather have power right now, or would you rather rely on, uh, you know, fitness early in the season? Anissa Mova not only looks fit, but she looks in form. She's confident. She's striking the ball cleanly. A win over Kasakina, confident in Isamova heading into the 2022 Australian Open. She's not highly ranked. I promise you no seed would want her as their first round. We all saw how well she played against Pliskova last year and then uh, at the U.S. Open. And then everyone knows. Ann Lee, you know my thoughts. On the rise, I think she's got a shot to end the year as the highest-ranked American those are your women's uh, other WTA events. You look on the men's side. They've got one more happening in Melbourne. Hell of a win for Grigor Dimitrov. Has he looked great through his first couple of matches? I wouldn't say great. I thought Botic looked very good. BBDZ back in action. Uh, my birthday almost brother into the quarterfinals, but Dim- had match points. Dimitrov fights off and you know gets that 7-5 in the third set win. I mean... Credit to Grigor, man. Like, he, he's scrapping. He looked athletic. He looks fit. He finally looks healthy. He looks, you know, fluid around the court. Yes, the backhand. I mean, he looks like Grigor, which is, I think, the highest compliment I can pay is that he finally just looks healthy once again. And that shot making one out in the end. Just Botic wasn't able to hurt him because of how athletic, fluid he was in the corners. Different looks he was able to come up with. BVDZ did a good job coming forward, keeping Dimitrov on the back foot, but... Man, did Grigor look explosive at times last night. And now, fascinating matchup as he's going to get, I believe, first-time ATP Tour semifinalist Max Cressy, the former NCAA doubles champion, Cleveland Challenger champion, enters the top 100 for the first time in his career. And look, 6-7, serving volley. I like his backhand, backhand return in particular, how condensed it is. I love the way he gets his momentum moving forward in the court on every ground stroke, even if foundationally the forehand's not the strongest. The guy comes to the net with no fear. Great volleyer, uses his length so well at the net, confident on the overhead. And, you know, I've talked to him. I know this guy. He thinks he's going to be world number one someday. And when you play a game style that he does, Boy, you better have confidence. Cressy does. 6-4 and four over Munar. Also knocked out Opelka. 7-6 in the third in the round of 16. Beats Carreno Busta at last year's U.S. Open. Has capitalized on that momentum. Into the top 100. Welcome. Another former college player and another American. Max Cressy. Uh, the other semifinalist, Rafa Nadal, gets a withdrawal from Greek sport. I thought he looked fine against Barankis. We talked about him with Nate yesterday. But he gets my guy, Emil Rusevori, who... Has looked excellent, and I think he looks. I think he looked a little more fluid coming in and out of corners, particularly on that backhand wing. He's reined in the forehand a little bit, but he picks his spots so much better. And so Rusevori, another guy to watch here. 
as we go down the home stretch of Melbourne. Again, it's Rafa versus Roos, Cressy versus Dimitrov. But that's where things stand. That's who's looked good in Australia. Now, again, I know I didn't touch on the challenger action. I promise I'll either hit on that this weekend or, of course, go check out our Monday Great Shot podcast, Damian Kust and Jakob Bobro breaking down the ATP challenger every week. We have talked a lot of college tennis, and to find all that content, you can go to our Great Shot podcast feed, College Contender Series, breaking down our top 10 teams. You can also go to the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. 50-plus college coaches ready to be heard from all of those episodes available on the Cracked Interviews podcast and all of the content available on our website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at CrackRackets. You want to message me directly, I am at great oh, – excuse me, I am at A.L. Gruskin. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the <laughs> – of an editing job he does day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 with all of that said. Again, how are we not going to podcast this weekend? Too much fun action to follow. We hope you all have enjoyed the return of the on-court action. We'll update you on the Djokovic story next week as well. But with all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here, at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.